Welcome back. Welcome back, everyone, to the Noah's Ark of Sports podcast. I'm your host, Noah Dunlap. I hope all of you have had fantastic weeks out there, um, whether it's school, work, vacation, whatever it is you may have found yourself doing this week. Hope all of you are enjoying it, living life to the fullest, as you always should. Um, on the show today, coming to you on this Friday morning, we've got a few things to talk about. We're going to talk about two, let's go with two ESPN hirees, if you will, who have just made downright absurd comments over the past day and a half or so. I want to talk about that. We're going to talk about the Major League Baseball playoffs, what we've seen up to this point at least. And then we are also, as always, giving out the gambling picks for this week, week seven of the college football season. Gambling picks not going quite the way they should have this year. I know I mentioned that. I think it was Wednesday I mentioned that. Gambling picks have just taken a shot over the past two weeks. We have dropped well below 50% on the year, but hey, it can't stay that bad for long. Gambling is one of those things that goes up and goes down, and eventually we are going to have to get back on track, and it just feels like this week might be the week for that. Okay, now with all of that out of the way, Let's go ahead and dive into the show for today, starting with Major League Baseball. Um, so we've made it through the wild card round. We've now started the divisional series. And up to this point, I think Major League Baseball has to be reasonably happy with where they are. When you look at it and you see that on the AL side of things with the American League, you have the Houston Astros, who a lot of people expect to be potentially a World Series favorite, depending on how you feel about the Dodgers. The Houston Astros have played the Seattle Mariners, the Mariners in their first postseason in 21 years. And while Houston is up 2-0, both games have come with Seattle being either ahead or tied late in the game. And they just can't hold on to leads because I believe his name is Alves, maybe from Houston, has now hit two go-ahead home runs. And for Major League Baseball, I think that's arguably what you want out of that series in the sense of you want it to be close just with the Seattle storyline. Like I said, the fact that this is their first postseason appearance in over two decades. However, you can't have Seattle win this series, I think is the key. You want it to be close, but you do also want Houston to go ahead and take the win. So I think they want it to go five at least. But even then, 
depending on what you get, as long as Houston wins and as long as it's close, I think they'll take that. So that's the quick breakdown there of the Houston Astros, the Seattle Mariners, and where we are in that series. On the other side of the AL, you have the New York Yankees and the Cleveland Guardians. They changed their name. I still want to call them the Indians. I know a lot of other people do too. But when you look at it, that series, we've only seen one game. That is a it's a series that game two was supposed to be last night and inclement weather delayed that they announced early on that that game was going to be postponed and moved back which on one side of things I think you have to you have to like the fact that they announced it early on. I think you have to be okay with that. You have to like the fact that they announced it early on. On the other side, it's one of those where with the way the schedule breaks down, they are now having to kind of push everything together, if you will. Now, obviously, with it being Cleveland, New York, Major League Baseball wants the Yankees, and Major League Baseball doesn't really care if it's close. Now, the Yankees won game one. They got down one nothing. They uh, Then you saw Garrett Cole tighten down. You saw the Yankees' bats come alive just a little bit, and they ended up just kind of sh- uh, cruising through. Major League Baseball doesn't care about this series. Let's call it what it is. Cleveland... They're not a market. The Guardians aren't a huge name. And then you have the Yankees. Major League Baseball doesn't care if this is close. Major League Baseball doesn't care if this is a sweep. So with Game 2 actually coming up starting in mere hours, Game 2, we have Game 2 starting in about three hours here. So I think this is one where To me, this feels like a Yankees win, and this honestly feels a bit like a Yankees sweep if you're not careful, just with the way things are. The Cleveland bats are bad. The Cleveland offense is not good. In their wild card series against Tampa Bay, they played two games, One of them ended up going 15 innings. So over the course of 24 innings, those two teams scored a combined four runs. That's not good. That's not good enough to do anything when it comes to the uh, Major League Baseball playoffs, especially against a team like New York that with John Carlos Stanton, with Aaron Judge, with those guys – you know the bats can come alive at any time. This feels like a Yankees win. This feels like it has the potential to be a Yankee sweep. It may not be, but it certainly does have the potential to be at least. Um, on the NL side of things, we are two games in on both of those. 
one being the Dodgers and the Padres, actually been a tremendous series to this point. The LA Dodgers, who won 11, 111 regular season games this year, I believe that's fourth most in Major League history. They've just been an absolute machine. Absolute machine all year long. They came out, they got the win in game one, and the way they got the win in game one was you avoided giving up the timely hit. That ball game was extremely close for, well, honestly, the entire game. And in game one, San Diego had multiple chances from the sixth inning on to, in a 5-3 ball game, get a runner on. At one point, I believe they had two runners on with either no outs or one out in the sixth inning, I think it was, of game one. And L.A. ended up getting out of it. They got out the jam. They moved on. They ended up sealing the win there. In game two, the tide turned. In game two, it looked almost identical except with a different team winning. San Diego won game two. I believe the score was also five to three. But the key was it was a five to three ball game, and LA had the chances to get runners on, had runners on, and just couldn't get that timely hit. Runners in scoring position, I believe they left nine on base, maybe. Um, went, I don't know that they had a single hit all game long in game two with runners in scoring position. So when you look at it, it's one of those where this has actually been a phenomenal series so far. Both games have looked almost identical. The series is tied up 1-1. We're talking the Dodgers, who were one of the best teams we've ever seen in Major League Baseball history, for that matter. We are talking the Padres, who have Manny Machado, they have, um, when you look at it, you Darvish on the mound. You've got Fernando Tatis, who is currently suspended. But it doesn't change the fact that this is a really good Padre team. It's a in-state rivalry out in California. The two teams are, um, what is it, 120 miles or so between L.A. and San Diego. The fans don't like each other. It does come across as a le- very legitimate rivalry. So for Major League Baseball, they have to love what they get with this particular series and the fact that it is 1-1 right now. And then in the last one, we have Braves and Phillies. The Phillies got the win in Game 1. I know I talked about that earlier this week. The Braves came out the very next day, shut the Phillies out, won 3 nothing in a game that I think could have been worse. This is also another series that has been reasonably close. Um, the Phillies won 7-6 in game one, but they were up 7-3 going to the bottom of the ninth. A Matt Olsen three-run home run made it 7-6. The Braves couldn't get anything else going. They lose. In game two, I don't believe the first run was scored until maybe the sixth inning. 
and then the Braves managed to push three across. You saw a magnificent catch from Austin Riley over on the third base side. You saw Dansby Swanson make a ridiculous play. And where we are with this one is the Phillies are a team that is solely based around how they hit the baseball. The Braves can do it all. The Braves between Max uh, Max Freed, between Spencer Strider, they have the pitching. But with the Braves, it's more offense-based to a degree, but they are reasonably balanced. With Philadelphia, you get the feeling that it's more of a situation of if they hit the baseball, they win. If they don't, I don't know that they have the pitching to keep them in ball games all that much. And that's where we've seen, well, that's what we've seen so far with this series. Game one, they hit the ball well. You put up seven. You hung on. Game two, you didn't hit the ball at all. You lost 3 nothing. Now, in a best-of-five series, tied 1-1, it's now become a best of uh, a best of three, and I told y'all before these playoffs started, well, before the uh, the divisional round started, I told y'all I'm actually leaning pretty heavily towards the Atlanta Braves repeating this year as World Series champions. Clearly, if I have them repeating as World Series champions, I can't have them losing in the NLDS to the Philadelphia Phillies. Take Atlanta here. I think it's been a fun series, but in the end, I think the balance that Atlanta brings to the table is going to end up being just too much there. Now, a few other things to talk about. ESPN. How many of y'all saw these two things that I'm about to talk about real quick? Um, one of them is solely, solely sports related. One of them dives into a bit of another topic, but we will get to that in a minute. The sports related one came yesterday when an ESPN analyst, whoever this girl's name was, whoever this lady's name was, um, was asked about the New York Giants and their 4 and 1 start. By the way, the Giants are 4 and 1, the Cowboys are 4 and 1, the Eagles are 5 and 0. Oh. That's that division. The NFC East right now, your top 3 teams are 5 and 0, oh, there's two at 4 and 1, and the Commanders right now are 2 and 4, I guess with their win last night. There is nothing keeping the New York Giants from making the playoffs. Even if they can't win the division, a wild card spot is still right there. And ESPN has some clown on their network yesterday when asked about the New York Giants say they should just tank. What? We're not even a third of the way through the season yet, and I'm four and one. Daniel Jones is looking like a much better quarterback than he has in the past. He's actually taking great strides so far this year. Saquon Barkley looks really good. Saquon Barkley looks healthy. 
if Saquon Barkley stays healthy, when you look at this Brian Dable team up in New York right now, the Eagles look like they're probably far and away the best team in that division. The Cowboys are 4-1, and one, but the key is that Cooper Rush is their quarterback. You never know if that goes bad week to week. You also know that Dak Prescott is going to get uh, is going to return in the next probably week or two, you would imagine. You don't know how that's going to play out. Dallas, even at four and one, they haven't looked great. Most of their wins have come reasonably close. Why in God's name is anyone telling? Is anyone on ESPN right now saying that the New York Giants should tank? I Is ESPN just handing out jobs? Do they care about a resume? Do they care about experience? Do they care that you know what you're talking about at all? Because I couldn't believe it when I heard this. This was... This was just downright absurd. The notion that a 4-1 football team is being told by an analyst at what is supposed to be the, quote, worldwide leader in sports, they are being told they should tank because there's just no point. I, I couldn't believe it when I heard that. That was phenomenal to me. And then on the other side, so that was one that we had, that was one absolute gem that we had from ESPN yesterday. And then on the other side, the Todd Bowles situation. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers head coach Todd Bowles, Tampa Bay playing Pittsburgh this week. And Todd Bowles was asked about, and this isn't necessarily directly a sports thing, but Bowles was asked about the notion that we have two African-American head coaches playing each other in this matchup, going head-to-head against each other in this matchup. And all Todd Bowles said, all Todd Bowles said when asked the question was that basically when he looks at, call it um, a disproportionate, well, the call it the disproportionate number of white to black head coaches in the NFL. His answer was he doesn't actually think it's something that people focus on, and he thinks if the people in the media would virtually leave it alone, that it would go away. That's basically what he said. He wasn't rude. He wasn't disrespectful. He wasn't even dismissing claims of potential racism amongst NFL owners, GMs, whatever the case may be, in terms of hiring practices. His answer was simply basically the fact that when he looks at it, he thinks this is a story that wouldn't really be a story if the media didn't keep it there. This employee at ESPN lost their mind, basically slamming Todd Bowles for ignoring and downplaying the blatant and clear racism that we have amongst 
hiring practices in the NFL. Number one, I think that's insane. Number two, who are you to bash Todd Bowles for what he said? All Todd Bowles was saying was, hey, don't look at my skin color. Look at my, um, look at my experience. Look at my background. Look at who I am as a head coach and take it from there. That's all he said. And instead, because ESPN isn't actually a sports organization, a sports network anymore, I'm sorry, it's not. ESPN is a clown show. If it isn't live sports, it's hard to watch ESPN at times. But because of all of that, Todd Bowles gets blasted because he didn't actually take the bait there and say, yes, this is big time because it's two African-American head coaches. And the reason I say I think the the conversation there, the media narrative, the push where they continually try to bring that up is when you look at it, you look at the fact that there aren't all that many um, African-American head coaches in the NFL. We've all heard the story. And the issue is that the NFL is something like 70% African-American maybe. So people automatically lose their mind and say, for a sport that the player pool is made up almost 70% of African-Americans, why is it that the the head coaching ranks don't follow suit in terms of percentages? Well, there are multiple different reasons for that. Number one, just because you can play a sport doesn't mean you're a great teacher of a sport. That's number one. Number two, and I think this is the most important. Like I said, number one is the fact that you don't, just because you are really good at something doesn't mean you are great at teaching other people how to play that sport. The the, the actual decision-making, the X's and O's that come with that sport. That's number one. Number two, the thing that no one wants to talk about, and I think this is extremely important amongst this topic. If 70% or so of the NFL player pool is African-American, there are a lot of players who, once they get done playing, they don't want to coach. You've already made tens, potentially hundreds of millions of dollars. You can ride off into the sunset, be set for life, spend time with your family, not have to deal with the pressure, the stresses that come with being an NFL head coach. There are a lot of people, a lot of former players, who just don't want to put themselves through that. That, that, that's what everyone who brings this topic up fails to mention. They just, they look solely at numbers and it's like, wow, this is, something's off here. And when you look at the numbers, sure, they look off. And then you actually think back on why the numbers may be and you realize that it makes perfect sense. Like I said, number one, just because you're really good at a sport doesn't mean you can teach others, doesn't mean the X's and O's, the 
you call it the decision-making is always there. That's number one. Number two, how many former players actually want to coach? Because i got to be honest with you. If I'm a player that over the course of my career, I've made $140, $150 million, by the time I retire, if I retire at 37, 38 years old, do I necessarily want, like I said, the rigors, the pressure of being an NFL head coach at that point, or do I want to basically just ride off into the sunset and say, hey, I had a great career, I've got a great family, and I can focus on family life now. That's what no one wants to talk about. They want to ignore that side of things, and I think that's kind of where Todd Bowles was trying to go with it. Like I said, number one being his answer is, don't look at me because of my skin color, but also just pointing out that there are some type of intricacies in terms of that conversation that we can have before we immediately jump on the, oh my God, the NFL is racist, chant the NFL is racist conversation, that there are, call it nuance, call it intricacies, whatever you want to call it, those do exist amongst and surrounding that topic and that conversation. So that's where he was going with it. And the fact that ESPN decided to basically bash him for that an an ESPN employee is trying to go off on Todd Bowles for not actually taking the bait and buying into that. Just insane. ESPN, be better. ESPN, hire better people because right now it certainly looks like y'all are just handing out jobs left and right like it doesn't matter. Those are the two stories from ESPN. Um, We've also talked Major League Baseball playoffs already. Now, to round out the show today, I want to go ahead and talk gambling picks. Gambling picks. Here we go. So far this year, as I mentioned earlier, things not going so well. We have struggled. Things have turned ugly. Over the past two weeks combined, we are sitting at 6-18. and 18. That's atrocious. That is an unacceptable number. But what that does mean, we're due for a really good week. Y'all don't want to fade these picks. It's been rough two weeks. In fact, it's been a rough three or four weeks. But that all changes here. We have a great slate of games. We have big-time matchups in each conference coming up at all different times of the day. The college football slate this weekend is solid. It's packed. It's a great weekend to sit back and just enjoy what is the best sport in America. And with that comes the opportunity to win some money as well. That's what we're doing here. I've got, I think it is 11 picks this week to give you all. It's feeling like an 11-0, an 11-0 kind of week, to be honest with you. Even if it's not 11-0, 9-2, that'll be good. 10-1, it's a really good week. Anything better than 2-9, which is what we did last week, is probably a good week. Let's be honest. 
But okay, with that out of the way, here are the gambling picks for the week. Remember, never fade the picks. These are here to hit. These are here to win you some money. Starting off, Auburn going to Oxford. Um, I won't actually be at this one. Um, As you know, I live down in Oxford. Uh, Huge Ole Miss fan, Ole Miss alum. But Auburn playing Ole Miss down in Oxford. I've got Ole Miss minus 15. Auburn is just atrocious. Their offense can't score. Their quarterback situation hasn't gotten any better. And then last week, while the first half with Ole Miss Vandy was ugly, um, what we saw in the second half, we saw Ole Miss open the playbook up just a little bit. We saw Jackson Dart actually fling the ball around. And I think if Lane Kiffin and company do that this week, I don't think we're getting – Vandy-type numbers, a 55-24 kind of game here. But I do think this is a game that Ole Miss can kind of cruise in, if you will. I'm looking for 38-17, 38-21 potentially being a score. Um, And that's if Auburn can actually get to 17 or 21, which with that offense isn't a guarantee Either way, Ole Miss does cover the uh, the 15 there. Auburn at Ole Miss, Ole Miss minus 15. Kansas at Oklahoma. This one, I talked about this one earlier in the week. Oklahoma is atrocious. Over their last two weeks, Oklahoma has a 49-0 loss to Texas this past week. They have a 55-24 loss to TCU, and they also have another loss that's escaping me right now, but they got throttled three weeks ago as well. There is nothing that we've seen from Oklahoma so far in conference play that explains them being a nine-point favorite over Kansas here. I know that Kansas's undefeated season ended last week with a tight loss against TCU, but that is a seven-point loss to a TCU team who, like I said, beat Oklahoma by 30 the week before. Yes, is Kansas's quarterback potentially out? It looks like it. Daniels doesn't appear like he's going to be ready. However, the game against TCU last week, Kansas had three points when Daniels went out. The backup came in, and while he's a little inconsistent here and there, the backup put up 28. The backup did okay. You add another week of practice to him, you give him a chance to work on timing, decision-making with his receivers, and this feels like a game that Kansas might actually win outright. It all depends on whether or not they quit after the undefeated season. That Can Lance Leopold get his guys back ready and focused? My answer here is yes. Now, I'm not going to go all out and tell you to take Kansas on the money line. I'm not going to tell you to take them outright. But this does absolutely feel like the kind of game that Kansas can keep within single digits at least. 
And if that's the case, give me a 24 to, what are we looking at? 24-17 kind of game? Maybe? 24-21 kind of game? I think that's what we could get down in Norman this week. Either way, that gives us a Kansas plus nine. Don't be scared of it. Take Lance Leopold, take the Jazzy Jayhawks to at least cover that nine number that they are being given. Penn State at Michigan. This is another early game tomorrow, 11 o'clock game. Go under 50 and a half. I'm also high on Penn State at plus seven. I'm not going to make that an official pick. That's one that you can sprinkle a little bit on if you feel the need to. But this is a this is a series that the last four games in this series have all been at 51 or below, I believe it is. With this number being 50 and a half, I think we're looking 24-21 could be the final. 21-17 could be the final. Something along those lines. I don't think this game gets out of the mid-40s. So with the number right now sitting at 50, I think it's easy money to take the under. Alabama at Tennessee. This is the best game of the weekend. This is arguably one of the best games that we've had on the year so far. And to me, it all comes down to whether Bryce Young plays. If Bryce Young doesn't play, I think there's a chance that Tennessee wins this game outright. It's in Knoxville. It's at Nalen. Hendon Hooker has looked like a Heisman Trophy winner, a certainly the Heisman Trophy candidate that's potentially the favorite at this point through the year. Um, the Tennessee offense is rolling. The defense, not great, but they're, they're manageable. However, we are talking about a Tennessee team that has lost 15 in a row to Alabama. That's concerning. And I know Bryce didn't play last week, but this feels like the kind of game, they're calling him a game-time decision right now. This feels like the kind of game that Bryce Young is probably going to play in. With Bryce Young on the field, with the Alabama defense being what it is, I just, I'm still not totally sold on Tennessee. Let's call it like that, I suppose, would be the easiest way to explain it. I'm not totally sold on Tennessee. I'm not totally sold on the Volunteers. And until they show me that they have arrived and they can win that primetime game, a top-five matchup here, I just I can't lean that way. Now, the line is currently Alabama minus seven. I think there's a chance that Alabama wins either way. But this all comes down, like I said, to whether Bryce Young plays. If Bryce Young plays, I'm feeling 45 to 24, 45, 27 Alabama. If Bryce Young doesn't play, I think things take a little bit of a different turn. I think... 
Alabama would be forced to run the ball a little more than they may want to in that situation. The score drops down just a little bit, and I think that's where we get the chance for Tennessee to cover. However, in this one, I think Bryce is going to actually stick it out. He's going to tough it out. Bryce Young is going to play Alabama minus seven at Tennessee. NC State going on the road to Syracuse. Give me NC State at plus three and a half. They're the higher-ranked team here. I know Syracuse is still undefeated right now, and they're at home, but this is a Syracuse team that every game they've played against even average to decent competition has been extremely close. This one no different. I think NC State wins outright, but just to be safe, take the Wolfpack at plus 3.5 at Syracuse. Oklahoma State at TCU, we're going over 68.5. This is a game that arguably has the potential to determine who wins the Big 12, depending on what Texas does down the stretch. It's a TCU team that has a really good offense. Defense is shaky sometimes. You look at it, TCU Kansas hit 69 last week. Oklahoma State, I think, is better than Kansas. TCU, Oklahoma State. We don't care who wins. All we care about is points. We're going north of 70 here, so over 68.5, not a problem. Mississippi State at Kentucky. This is an intriguing matchup. The problem is that while Mississippi State has looked like a potential candidate, a contender to win the SEC West this year. They really have looked that good except for one half of football against LSU. The other side, Kentucky, their offense is abysmal. They scored 19 against Ole Miss. They only scored, I think it was 14 last week against South Carolina. There's questions about Will Levis and whether he's going to play. But it is in Lexington. Mississippi State has struggled at times in Lexington so I think that's one to keep in mind that's one to pay attention to I think Mississippi State wins but I do also think we're going under 50 and a half here this feels like a um, 31-17 kind of game 31-14 kind of game Mississippi State gets the win but we don't really get out of the mid-40s. Mississippi State at Kentucky, under 50.5. USC at Utah. Utah has been a odd team to watch this year. They look really good at times. They look really bad at times. They already have two losses, a dark horse candidate to make the college football playoff, when we aren't even out of October yet, when we aren't even midway through October yet, and they already have two losses. I think there are questions. I think there are concerns. But even with that, I think USC, there are also some concerns. This Trojan team, they've looked really good. They are undefeated. They're in the top 10. However, they've looked a little more shaky over the past couple weeks. When it comes to conference play, they've looked beatable. They've looked a little shaky at times. And having to go on the road to Salt Lake City against 
a guy who I think is honestly one of the best coaches in football in Kyle Whittingham. I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to tell you to take Utah at minus three and a half. This is one that a lot of people are going to shake their head and say, I don't like this pick, and that's fine. However, like I said, this feels like the kind of game that Kyle Whittingham gets his Utah Utes back on track. They do well once they're out of contention. They've been that way for the past four or five years now. There's a lot of hype surrounding the Utah program. They play well early on. They lose one or two games by mid-October, and then they just run. I think we could be looking at a similar situation here. USC at Utah, give me the Utes at minus three and a half. Memphis at East Carolina. Memphis destroyed arguably their season last year, uh, last week as they had a huge lead, 19-point lead on Houston going into the fourth quarter. They choked the lead away. They end up losing Friday night at Houston, or not at Houston, against Houston in Memphis. And now they're having to travel over to Greenville to take on a decent East Carolina team. This one comes down to whether or not you think Ryan Silverfield can get his Memphis Tigers back on track. Can he get their attention? If you think the answer to that question is yes, then Memphis covers this number at plus five and a half. If you think Memphis just shuts down after last week, then you take the East Carolina Pirates at the minus five and a half. I'm going to go out on a limb. I think Ryan Silverfield is going to get his team ready to go. They still have the potential for a 10-2 and two year this year. They have two losses right now. They have a tough slate coming up, tough three or four weeks. I think that's going to determine a lot of things. I think that's going to determine whether Silverfield keeps his job. And like I said, that's certainly going to determine the what ends up being the outcome of this season for Memphis. This feels borderline like a must-win kind of game all the way around for Memphis. Even if it's not a must-win, it's one that you have to keep close, and I think that's what they do. Give me Memphis plus 5.5 at East Carolina. Clemson minus 3.5 at Florida State. Florida uh, Florida State can't score. I'm hesitant on this Clemson team. I don't actually think they're necessarily a title contender, but What I do know is that this Florida State offense has stumbled lately, and they look abysmal, really bad, absolutely atrocious. They are abysmal, and even with this one being in Tallahassee, I just, this feels like the kind of game that the Clemson defense can flex just a little bit. They hold Florida State to 14. They hold Florida State to 17. Look for Clemson to pull out a 35-17 kind of win here. 31-17 maybe. Either way, Clemson minus 3.5 just seems like the easy play there. 
that I believe is going to do it for the picks today. Is that correct? Let me make sure I have all my picks here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. That was only ten. I feel like I'm missing one, but even if I am missing one, ten picks, not a bad slate. We're going ten and zero. What I just gave you there, it's guaranteed we're hitting ten and zero. Like I said, after the rough string of two or three weeks that we've had, don't fear. Don't fear. The picks are there. We're getting the picks in. You're going to win. We're going undefeated. Don't miss out. You clearly don't want to fade these picks. Sit back this weekend. Enjoy watching college football. Make some money. Always gamble gamble responsibly, boys and girls. That's going to do it for the show today. Thank you guys for tuning in. Love you guys so much. As always, I will be back on Monday to break down the NFL weekend, the college football weekend, talk all of that. I'm sure we will have other things to talk about as well. So don't miss out come Monday. But in the meantime, enjoy your weekend. Make some money with the gambling picks. I love you guys. Be sure to leave ratings and reviews wherever you are listening to this at, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever it is. Leave a rating, leave a review. That's how we grow. That's how we get better here at the Noah's Ark of Sports Podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in. Get your uh, get your picks in. Enjoy your weekend. Make some money. I will see you guys on Monday. And in the meantime, y'all stay safe out there.